your Bibles with me to 1 Kings. I'm not going to stay there long. Chapter 17. We're going to begin a new subject tonight. It's been one that's been in my heart for a while, and we've talked about it before, but it's at another level. I really sense God wants to talk to us about it. It's, 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 it's perhaps the most important or one of the two most important things that you ever need to learn how to do. We're going to talk, begin to talk about prevailing prayer. Not just prayer, but prayer that prevails. That's prayer that works. And I want to start out with a story because you'll see why we're going to talk about this story in a minute. Let's pray as we do. Father, we thank you as we open your word tonight. We've had an opportunity to praise you and to worship you, and now we turn to your word. We thank you that this word is the same. It never changes, Lord. But not only does it never change, it is your word spoken personally to us. And Father, we ask you tonight by the Holy Spirit that you would speak into our hearts, not just information, but you would breathe words of life into our hearts, that we would be strengthened and encouraged in this area of prayer especially, Lord, that we would have confidence that you hear and you answer and you want to hear and you want to answer our prayers. And we thank you, Father, for that in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. This is a story of Elisha. Uh, Elisha was a prophet during a time of Israel, which was very, they were very backslidden. The king was King Ahab. And if you haven't heard of him, I'm sure you've heard of his wife. His wife's name was Jezebel. Ahab was a, was a Jewish king that chose a, a, a Gentile, a, a Baal-worshipping wife. It is important who you marry. That's why the Bible talks about not being unequally yoked, because whatever spirit you marry, whatever spirit that spouse is of will bring into that union with you. Not just to have it in the house, you're joined together. When you're joined together with someone with a different spirit, a different spiritual background, a different spiritual focus, then it affects your spiritual walk. And it brought this man down and it brought the kingdom of God down in Israel. But God's faithful. He sends somebody, and he sent a prophet named Elisha to speak for him. In the Old Testament, prophets spoke for God. They were foreseers. They would tell sometimes ahead of time what was going to happen. Prophets in the New Testament is a different function, but they, their function is still to speak the heart of God and to speak for, for God and God's heart into a church. So Elisha was sent to the northern kingdom of Israel, especially to Ahab, as Ahab said, to trouble him. But sometimes God will send people to you to trouble you, but it's God sending them there and there to make you uncomfortable because it's the uncomfortableness that often causes us to look at ourselves honestly. When things are going well, we don't tend to look too much at ourselves. We look at the circumstances around us. But sometimes people will bring, God will bring someone into your life not just to make you feel warm and fuzzy, but to irritate you because God wants you to see how easily you may be irritated. Or whatever it is. But so don't you just dismiss that person. But, but Elijah was brought by God into, into Israel at this time for a purpose. So we're going to start out. Israel's backslidden. They've got a king that, that, that is dominated by his, his spouse. And she is a Baal worshiper. She is, worships Satan. Just first of all, Elijah the Tishbite was the, uh, of the inhabitants of Gilead, said to Ahab, the king, As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there be, shall be no dew nor rain these years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan, and it will be that you will, shall drink of the brook that I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of God, and he went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. God knows how to meet your needs, even if it needs to burn. 
<laughs> to bring it to you. He knows where you are and how to, especially if you're in his will, and how to get it to you. And it happened that while, that while he was there that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Now, that's an astounding statement. This is a man who comes to the king and says, until I say so, it's not going to rain here. Until, now, he didn't, he's not praying. He's not saying, God, please do something. He's declaring to the king, until I say so, it's not going to rain. Not only is it not going to rain, there'll be no dew in the morning. So what happens in the meantime is Elijah, there's a miracle. He goes to the, he's, God takes him somewhere else to, and has a widow woman meet his needs. And then God, after many days, uh, this is chapter 18 now. The word of the Lord came to him, Elijah, on the third year. This is three years later. And he said, go present yourself now to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. So Ahab goes to Obadiah, which is one of the king's servants, and said, go find the king, because I have something to say to him. And Obadiah says, what have I done wrong that you've put me on this assignment? He says, you have a reputation that, when I, when you, when, that, that God will just snatch you up and take you somewhere else. So he's saying, I know what's going to happen. I'm going to go tell the king. He wants to see you, by the way, because he wants to get it to rain, because there's a famine in the land. There's a terrible... Imagine if it never rained for three and a half years. No rain, no dew, no moisture of any kind. It's already a very dry, arid land to begin with. There's not much rain there to begin with. The king's angry. There's this terrible famine. The economy's just gone down the tubes, and the king blames Elijah for it. And so... Elijah says, it's now time to meet with him because it's now time to rain because God said so. And so he says to the, to the servant, go find Ahab and say, I want to talk to him. He says, no, 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 no. He says, you know, what have I done wrong? I fed some of the prophets that the, the queen was after. Why are you after me? Because I'm afraid that when he comes to find you, the Spirit of God is going to pick you up and take you somewhere else. So Elijah had a reputation of the Spirit of God just transporting from one place to another. So uh, Stephen wasn't the only one, or Philip wasn't the only one that that happened to. And so, and, and he says, no, no, I'll be here, I'll meet him. So he finds the king, and he brings the king to, 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 to Elijah, and the king says, who are you, O troubler of God? And now what Elijah does is Elijah de- declares now there's a showdown. He says, I want you to bring 450 of the priests of Baal, and we're going to have a showdown up on Mount Carmel. So they go up on Mount Carmel, and I'm sure most of you know the story, and he says to the priests, all right, we're going to build an altar here with wood. And, and one of us is going to we'll find out which one is the real God. You call fire down first. You get the first shot to have your God set this thing on fire. Anybody can take a match and set it on fire, but have your God do it. And so they went through all these incantations. I mean, they said all their spiritual things and they did their dances. That didn't work. They cut their bodies. They did all this point. And he, and if you read this in the Hebrew, in the, the, the vernacular of the Hebrew, Elijah starts taunting them. He says, well, maybe your God's in the bathroom is basically what he's saying. Maybe he's indisposed. Maybe he's out somewhere. And so when they've done all they can do all day long, Elijah comes along and says, let's make this tougher. So they build it back up again. They soak it with wood. They build a trench around it. They soak it with so much wood that the trench fills up with wood. And Elijah says, stands back and he says, all right, God, show me you're real. And fire comes down out of heaven. It not only lights the thing on fire, it incinerates the wood and it evaporates all the water. And the people said, I think we'll serve Jehovah. And Elijah says, now take, the, take these prophets of Baal 
take them down by the end of the bottom mountain and line them up and we're going to get rid of them. And he does. All right? That's the background here. Now we're going to pick up um, verse 41. Then Elijah said to Ahab, Now go up and drink, for I see this, I hear the sound of, war, of the rain. And Ahab goes, I don't hear anything. I hear the sound of rain. Now, he didn't hear this with his natural ears. He heard this with the ears of his inner man, with the ears of faith. He said, I hear rain. It's time for you to go up, for there is the sound of rain. And Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel, and he bowed down on the ground and put his face between his knees. He humbled himself, got way down, bent over and put his face between his knees and said to his servant, Now you go up and look towards the sea. So he went up. Now Elijah's just declared that it's going to rain. Three years ago, Elijah said it wasn't going to rain. Now Elijah said it's going to rain. So the servant goes out and looks, comes back and says, "Mm, I don't see any rain. He says, go do it again. So he goes out and does it again. He comes back and says, I don't see any rain. A third time he sends him out. Go look. He says, comes back, I don't see any rain. Now, have you ever prayed something and then you look to see whether it's happened? And then when you don't see it, you say, well, I guess God didn't hear my prayer. And you just sort of, now, it, it may be you did it after one time or maybe two times or maybe three times and Maybe four times you looked and you didn't see the symptom go away or you didn't see the, the money come into the bank account or you didn't see whatever it was change. You didn't see it change. Six times he sent him out. And all the time he sent him out, Elijah's been over in an attitude of prayer. Keep sending him out. And I believe he would have sent him out until he came back and said, I saw something. Because Elijah was convinced that God was going to answer that prayer. And he would send him to continue to look until he saw the evidence. So what happens on the seventh time? Verse 44. And it came to pass the seventh time that he said, There is a cloud. There is a small cloud the size of a man's hand rising up out of the sea. So Elijah said, That's all I need. Go tell Ahab that he better get ready. Prepare his chariot and go down into the valley before it rains because he's going to get stuck in the mud if he doesn't. And now it happened in the meantime that the sky became black and the clouds and the wind and there was heavy rain so that Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel, which is a valley at the bottom of Mount Carmel. And the hand of the Lord was upon Elijah. The words, the hand of the Lord, often refers to the Holy Spirit. The hand of the Lord was upon Elijah and he girded up his loins and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. He outran the chariot. Now, I'm not going into what happens here because it's an interesting story of what happens. But go with me now to James chapter 5. I went through that story because we read this verse so often, but I want you to, I wanted that background, and some of you I know know the background, some of you may not have, but I wanted it fresh in our senses. Let's go to um, verse 14. Is there any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. 
let them pray over him, anointing with oil in the name of the Lord. The oil just represents uh, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Some people will teach you that, well, oil in those days had a medicinal value, so that basically were, they were administering medicine to them. But that's not what oil represents in the Bible. The oil represents in the Old Testament the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Anoint them with oil, with the anointing of the Spirit. And look, verse 15 says what does it. And the prayer of faith will save the sick. The word save there means make whole. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, they will be forgiven him. So he's going to get forgiven and he's going to get healed. Confess your trespasses or faults to one another and pray for one another. So this context is talking about praying for other people, praying for your needs, praying. He's talking about prayer here. And then he ends this, and this is what we're going to talk about. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails or accomplishes much. We're going to begin to talk about prevailing Prayer. What prevailing prayer is, is prayer that prevails with God, that gets answers, that sees results. And what James is saying here in the Holy Spirit by him is that our prayers should see results. He goes on to say, and this is why we went through that story, Elijah was a man with a like nature as ours. In other words, there wasn't something special about Elijah. It wasn't because he was a prophet and chosen by God that God did this. Because we can read that story and say, well, he was a prophet of God. Of course God would honor his word. Of course God would answer his prayer. The Holy Spirit is telling us here, that's not why it happened. He was a man just like, in fact, we have an advantage he didn't have. He wasn't born again. He wasn't a child of God. He didn't have the Spirit of God living in him. The Spirit of God had to come upon him to do those things. He didn't dwell in him. We've been talking on on Sunday mornings about, over the last few weeks ago, we talked about how Jesus taught his disciples, look, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Don't you understand? If you don't believe it, for that reason, at least believe it because of the works you've seen. Don't you understand that the works that I did, it wasn't me doing them. It was the Father dwelling in me. It was the Father. Then he goes on to explain that the Father dwelt in him by the presence of the Holy Spirit. And we were talking about the fact that it's the same Spirit that dwelt in Jesus, that dwelt in the disciples, that dwells in you and me. So the works that he did, that's why Jesus said, you shall do the same works and greater works. Why? Because we have the same Spirit dwelling in us. Elijah didn't have the Spirit dwelling in him. The Spirit would come upon him when it was time. But we have the Spirit of God in us. The anointing is in us, First John says in chapter, I think, 2 or 3. The, the anointing dwells in us. So we actually have an advantage over him. So James is saying, look, Elijah was a human being like you and me. With weaknesses and strengths, if we had gone on to read in the story, you'd find out after these incredible miracles, after speaking and seeing the rain dry up, and then three years later speaking and seeing it start to rain, out of having the Spirit of God come on him, and he outruns the king's chariot, which was the fastest chariot in the country. He outruns the king's chariot, having had this showdown with the prophets of Baal, calling fire down out of heaven. He didn't, he called it down. All of this, 
After all of this, the king goes back and reports to Jezebel what happened to her prophets. And she says, I'm not going to die a natural death until that man's dead. And Elijah, this great man of faith and power, panics and runs away into the wilderness to hide from her. Where's the fire coming down out of heaven? Where's the faith? Because he was a man like you and me. He was a human being. And that's what James is saying. He had times when he was strong, but he had times when he questioned things. He had times when he was full of faith and power and other times when he was looking at himself in his own strength and trying to handle things in his own strength. I love the Bible for lots of reasons. But one of the things that just shows people is just as they are. You'd love to be in the Bible. Would you like to be a character in the Bible? I'm not sure I would. Because everything's laid out. The strengths and the weaknesses. Moses' great victory and then Moses' failure. All of it's just laid out. And, and Elijah's like that. And so James is saying, Elijah was a man, a person, flesh and blood, just like you and me. And he said, look what happened. A man with like nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain in the, year, in the, in the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and it produced fruit. God's telling us in these scriptures that he gave us prayer so that there would be results. I say this tonight because I, we need to go back and examine. This is what God's done with me over this last six, eight months. Began to deal with me in, in the middle of prayer one day in here. He says, you know, you're not expecting these prayers to get answered. And it, you don't argue with God. I mean, he was right. One of the things we can fall into is, is we pray for, for different reasons. Sometimes we say prayers. And we say prayers. You know, with, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. We say prayers we've we learned as a child or learned by rote. And I was raised in a church where we had a prayer book and you said the prayers out of the prayer book. No matter what you may be thinking, no matter where your heart is, but you stood up and said the prayers you were supposed to pray at the right time. And when you finished, you felt good because you said your prayers and you'd done what you were supposed to do. And you could check it off your box here because you knew God was checking off his box in heaven that you were a good doobie that day. You'd done what you were supposed to do. You'd said your prayers. The problem is a lot of us have brought that over into our walk with God in a church that doesn't do that. And so we get up in the morning and say, well, I'm, I need to pray. It's time to pray. I need to say my prayer. And it's good to have a habit. You need to have habits. Good habits are essential because what a good habit will do is a good habit you will do what you're supposed to do whether you feel like it or not because you just do it. And see, you're a great example of it because you've developed the habit of coming to church. Years ago, I just established the habit of going to church. And with our kids, we had a, you go to church. If you're in our family, you go to church. I, you know, I, there may be all kinds of things going on, but you go to church because I want them to know when they grew up and they left home that they had the habit of going to church. So when we see our kids again, when they're, when we don't live with them, one of the first things you're, we don't ask it right away, but we're looking for, you're still going 
to church, you know, because I want to know that the habit's there. But see, if that's all you do, if you just pray in the morning because it's a habit and you're supposed to do it, then you're going to ultimately miss it. What will happen is you're not getting any results. When you don't see results, when you don't see prayers answered, you begin to get discouraged and you either just get into the rut and routine of doing them because you're supposed to and you feel bad if you don't do them or maybe worse, you think God's going to be angry if you don't do them. Whatever the reason is, if you, you either do that or you just stop praying. Or you say the prayers, but you don't expect any answers. We're going to see that prayer is the vital connection that God has designed for us with Him. Unless we have a healthy prayer life, and a healthy prayer life requires that we're getting answers to prayers, because there's nothing that strengthens your prayer life than seeing prayers answered. But we're going to learn how to do it, whether you see them answered or not, because they will be answered, whether you see them answered or not. So we pray for all different kinds of reasons. Sometimes it's out of a religious obligation. Sometimes it's because we feel better. You've heard me say this before. If we really, in this church, everybody that belongs to this church or comes here regularly, if we really had confidence that whatever we ask God, obviously within the scope of his will, that he would answer. This place would be full Tuesday nights. Because it's not like there are no needs out there. And if you don't have any needs, it's not as if you don't know people that do have needs. So the reason we're not full on Tuesday nights is because we really don't have confidence that God's going to answer our prayers. It looks like a duty or an obligation that we have to fulfill. But I'm telling you, God's the most exciting being there is. It is our lifeline. Prayer is a lifeline. We're going to look in this series over why, why does God require prayer? I mean, if God wants to do something, why didn't he just do it? We're going to see how critical prayer is for God's will to be accomplished. And one of the reasons I believe that this series is so important right now is there's some things that God wants to do that he needs us to pray for. But he needs us to pray in a way that we expect we're going to get answers. I've started walking around during the day just talking to myself, saying, you know what? God always hears my prayers. God always answers my prayers. I'm so glad God always answers. You know what's happening? I'm getting more and more confident that when I pray, God's going to answer that prayer. Now, we'll learn the parameters, but God's going to answer my prayers. God answers. Elijah was confident that God would answer his prayers. Jesus was so confident that he didn't talk to the Father. He just told things to happen. In fact, you notice Elijah didn't say, God, would you please stop the rain? And then Elijah didn't say, God, would you please let it rain? God, Elijah spoke to the rain and told it to stop. And then he spoke and declared it was good. Remember he said, it, it won't rain again unless I say so. And James calls that prayer. So much of the time we talk to God about situations when true prayer is talking to the situation on God's behalf. We're telling God to do something, and God's waiting for us to speak to it. I've started meditating lately on all the places I can remember where either Jesus spoke to situations or someone told him to spoke to see. Remember the, the centurion? We're just going to let whatever's come out tonight. Remember the centurion that comes to Jesus and says to him, yeah, my servant's lying at home. 
you know, suffering greatly. Jesus, before he finishes what he's going to ask, Jesus says, I'll come and heal him. What can be better than that? And the servant says, no, no, and the master, the centurion says, no, no, you don't need to come. In fact, I'm not worthy for you to come. You don't need to come. You just say the word. So Jesus changed how he was going to respond based on what that centurion believed. I began to think of other places where Jesus changed how he met somebody's need based on how they believed he was going to do it. But look at what Jesus did. He spoke to things. Spoke to a withered arm and told the man to strengthen it out. Spoke to storms. Peter said to him, well, if it's you, bid me to come. And what did Jesus say? Come. He didn't command the water to get hard. He just said, come, and Peter walked on water. John chapter 11, Jesus stands at the tomb of Lazarus. They've rolled the stone back. And now Jesus talks to his father. But what Jesus said is, I'm saying this out loud to you. I know you always answer my prayers. But I want them to know you did this. And then he spoke to Lazarus to come out, to come forth. And it says he came forth bound head and feet in linen. Ever think about that? That means he didn't waddle out because his feet were still bound up. So there was enough power in the word Lazarus come forth to not only bring him back to life, but to move the body out of the tomb. But when you can raise the dead with your words and you can call things into existence with your words, I mean, stop and think about it. How did God create the universe? And God said, and God said, and God said, and God said, and God said. So we're going to learn that prevailing prayer isn't always, oh, God, please do this for me. There's, there's an aspect of prevailing prayer where we exercise the authority that we've been given. Because notice James calls that prayer. We exercise the authority that we've been given on his behalf. On his behalf. But the main thing I want to, I believe the Spirit of God wants to touch us with tonight is that prevailing prayer is prayer that gets answered. I remember a number of times, number of years ago, it was a long time ago, I had, for some reason, none of the pastors were able to lead the, pa- the, the prayer on Tuesday night, and I asked one of the elders to do it. They're not here anymore. This elder's not here. I wouldn't say it if they were, but they've, they've moved on. And, you know, and I came in at the end, and he came up to me and said, well, how did I do? I said, brother, it wasn't a performance. The whole idea is prayer is to get him to move. So you can tell how you did by whether you got results, not how did it sound, not how did it look, not how, you know, but see, that's what religion does. Religion, prayer sounds a certain way. Oh, thou great God in heaven, who existed before the ages, you know, I'm not sure God even hears that stuff. He waits to get through the baloney. Now, it's wonderful to pray to God and remind Him who He is, because if you look at Jehoshaphat's prayer, you look at Solomon's prayer, you look at a number of the prayer, you look at the prayers and acts, they remind God of who He is, not because He forgets. But they're calling on God to do something. 
but they're not spoken in deep theological sounds and tones. But God's not impressed with that. In fact, Jesus addresses that in John in, in, in Matthew chapter 6. He says, don't be like the Gentiles. They think that they're going to be heard because of the way that they pray. It's not the way that you pray. It's not the technique which you pray. It's the faith with which you pray. The faith that God is there. He hears you. He wants to answer your prayers. So we're going to look at some of those things. Also, we're going to look at the idea that this prayer is God's idea. It's not ours. It's not like we're coming to him and we're kind of convincing him to do something he really doesn't want to do. And so you've got to do it just the right way. You've got to say things just the right way because otherwise he's not, he's not interested. You've got to really get a hold of him and get him to do it. No, prayer is God's idea. From the beginning of the Bible all the way through the end, it tells us to come to him and ask. It tells us to come to him and ask. It tells us to come to him and ask. And I share with you a few, I think it was Sunday mornings ago. I don't remember where it was. I went through a period of time over the last month where I would wake up like at 2 or 3 in the morning. And I was wide awake. And I just, instead of trying to lie there, I'm going to get up and talk to God. And I began to talk to him about some things. And God began to open my eyes to see some things. And I saw things that were so simple and profound, but I, know why. I couldn't believe I'd never seen them before. You may have seen them years ago, but to me they were like a revelation. And one of them was this amazing thought that God said to me, if I've been telling you to ask for things, don't you think I want to give them? Why would God tell us to ask for something he hasn't already decided to give us unless he wants to frustrate us? But we already know he doesn't because Jesus tells us in, John, in Matthew chapter 7, when he talks about prayer, he says, wait a minute, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your Father in heaven want to give good gifts to his children. And the example he uses is if your son asks you for a loaf of bread, are you going to give him a rock? If he asks you for a fish, would you give him a, a, a snake? What he's saying is if you ask him for something that's good, is he going to play games with you and give you something else? So why would God tell us to ask if he isn't waiting to answer? What we're going to discover is God's been waiting for you to ask. You have not. Because you ask not. Over and over, he tells us to come and to ask. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything that you'd be anxious about, everything, instead of carrying this weight around to being anxious about, come to me and let your requests be made known unto me. If you lack wisdom, don't beat yourself up and don't feel bad about it. God says, ask of me. I won't laugh at you for being stupid. You're all stupid compared to me. <laughs> I won't want to braid you. But I'll give to you generously. The only thing is you must ask in faith. And we'll talk about that. But God wants to inspire us to look at where your prayer life is. Are you expecting answers to your prayers? So he began to ask me. He didn't ask me. He told me. You know, God doesn't ask questions because he's looking for information. He knows the answer. He's trying to show you something when he asks a question. I just write in the middle of his prayer. You know, great prayer. Bless poor my heart. He says, you don't expect to get that answer, do you? It's like. And then he began to examine me. He says, you've let your faith get weak. And you've stopped expecting answers to prayer. So you're going through the motions. You're praying because you're supposed to. You're praying because you have to. You're a pastor. You need to pray for people's needs. But you're not really expecting me to do something. And the second thing he dropped on me that night, 
was he said, because if you really believe that I'm going to answer your prayers, you'll start expecting more. What many of us have done is we've narrowed down what we expect to happen, what we hope to happen, to fit within what we believe God's willing to do. So we begin to believe, based on our experience, because we don't see these prayers answered, we begin to experience, we begin to expect less and less and less. And Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Your faith can't produce anything beyond what you hope. So if you hope little, your faith can't produce beyond that little hope. And the reason we hope little is we expect that God's going to do it. So we protect ourselves or we protect him. It's another thing the Lord showed me. He says, you've hesitated to pray for certain situations because your question is, what's gonna, what are they going to think of, of God if they don't get this answer? says, you're trying to protect me because you don't believe I'm going to... I'm just being honest with you tonight because that's what we've got to do is be honest. If we're not willing to be honest, then because God knows where we are, we just need to be honest. And he says, you know, because you, you, you're, 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 it's not that you're protecting me, you're protecting your reputation because you prayed and they didn't tell you an answer. And then it's when he hit me with this one, and I've shared this with you before. God says, the one prayer I guarantee you I can't answer is the one you don't offer. I guarantee you, if you don't ask me, I can't do it. You have not because you ask not. And then he set me free. He said, what does Mark eleven twenty four 24 say? He says, whatsoever things you desire, when you pray, believe. Your part is to believe that you receive them and you shall have them. He said, the shall have them, that's my responsibility. The believe that you receive it is your responsibility. The praying is your responsibility. The believing is your responsibility. The results are mine. So let me do my part. You just do your part. And set me free. And set me free. And set me free. And so where we, God, I believe, wants to encourage us in this. God wants to challenge us in this. God wants to stretch us in this. But it begins by just looking back. It's God's will that our prayers prevail with him. Prevail with him in the area of seeing the lost saved, leading relatives saved. I would venture to say that every one of us in this room tonight either has relatives, neighbors, or friends that we know aren't saved, and we'd love to see them saved. We know certainly God wants to see them saved, and we've either stopped praying or never prayed or given up praying because we didn't see results, and we just, well, we just kind of back off, or we just go through the motions. God's word is the truth. And when God says, ask and you will receive, that is the truth. When God's word says, if you ask anything that's within the scope of my will, I hear you. And if I hear you, this you know about me, you already have what you've asked me. That's what God's word says and many other things that we'll look at. But I just felt God wants to challenge us tonight to ask ourselves, do I really expect my prayer? When you're praying the next time, do I really, do I really, do I really expect this to be answered? 
I'm rereading the autobiography of Charles Finney, who was the great evangelist of the of the uh, one of the, fir- the first Great Awakening, which was in the early 1700s, uh, in upstate New York and over into into the Northeast area. Um, and I, I guess I was first drawn to him because he was a lawyer that got saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, and then he just. He started representing, my job is to represent God now. Not, and that's not that all lawyers should leave their jobs as, as I have and he did, because we need godly lawyers also. But, um, uh, it, but, it's, uh, but what, what drew me to him was his conversion and his experience. And what br- led him up to that is he was attending prayer meetings in his, villa, in his, in his community. Uh, he wasn't saved. Uh, he he was pretty sure later on the pastor wasn't saved and probably nobody else in the prayer meeting was saved, but they were having prayer meetings because they thought it was a good thing to do and they were hoping to get what they called back in those days religion in their village. Now, you and I would mean something different about that. And he, he t- was telling the story and, you know, he would attend these prayer meetings and they'd pray for this and they'd pray for revival and they'd pray for souls. And one night they turned and asked him, do you have anything that you want us to pray for? He says, I don't know why I would ask you to pray for it. It's clear from your prayers that you don't expect them to get answered. The one thing about him is he was honest. I mean, he would tell you, yes, Pastor Sam would have liked him. He just told you right where he thought and where he stood, where you stood. And it shocked them. They, at that point, they kicked him out of the prayer meeting because they didn't want him making them uncomfortable. But he was sincerely seeking. He just, you know, wait a minute. They're not expecting your prayers to get answered. No wonder they're not getting answered. Why would I have you pray for me if you don't believe you're going to get your prayers answered? So we need to look at ourselves. Do we really expect that because I ask God something, He's going to do it? Do I really expect that? Do I have confidence that my prayers prevail with God? And if you look at this, let's read through it again. The effective, fervent prayer, we'll talk about that, of a righteous man avails or accomplishes much. Jesus said, and just turn over there. Jesus said in John 15. Talking about the branch and the vine. Verse 6. If you abide in me, if anyone does not abide in me, he's cast over there. Verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, That's where some of the problem is. You will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. That's a pretty clear statement. Now, let me ask you a question. That's either true or it's not true. Right? That's either true or it's not true. If that's not true then how do I know that everything else in here is true? How do I know that it's true that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life? How do I know that's true if this is not true? Jesus said, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Verse 8, by this, by what? 
by you asking what you desire and having it done for you, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. The fruit he's talking about here is answered prayer. On your workplace, people come to you because they recognize that when you pray for something, it, I'll never forget in the law firm, last law firm I worked in, was a young lawyer, lawyer, he was a little younger than I was, nice guy, and he was seeking and he was searching, he'd gone through a difficult time, his wife was very, very sick, and, 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 and I had witnessed to him to some degree, and he came in, I came into his office one day and asked him, how you doing? He said, well, you know, my shoulder's really been hurt, and I injured it cutting wood, he was one of these guys that cut his own wood and burned, you know, one of those things, and you know, and I just, I said, would you like me to pray for you? And he said, well, yes. He thought I meant when I got home. I went over to him and put my hand on his shoulder. And I, I started praying. He just looked at me like this. That's not what he was expecting. But God healed his shoulder. And God got through to him about that. Now, I don't know whether he ultimately accepted the Lord or not. I mean, I witnessed to him. I went over to his wife. When his wife was very sick, I went to the hospital room to pray for her. And she was very, um, you know, very intellectual, very highly educated. And that stuff so much gets in the way so often. But the point here is what Jesus is saying. The fruit that you're to bear is answered prayer. Isn't that what Jesus did? He went out into the world and prayed for people. He went out in the world and met their needs. He went out among the world out there, and God's calling us to go out. He's preparing us and calling us to go out. We're going to look later on in this year on on Sunday morning in Ezekiel where it talks about the river of life. Uh, Lafayette Scales preached on this about three years ago. and Boy, when he did it, it went off in me. That's the vision. The river of life flowing out of here. Wherever it went... Wherever it went, dead fish were made alive. What do fish represent in the Bible? Souls. Dead fish. Wherever the river of life went, dead fish were made alive. Trees became alive. Vegetation that was dead was brought alive by the life, the river of life flowing out of the temple where they worshipped Jehovah. This is why we're talking about worship. This is why worship is so important in, in what we're studying on Sunday mornings because it's all worship with a purpose. It's worship because something's going to come out of that worship that's going to flow out of here. But it's not just going to flow out on the streets of Seekonk. It's going to flow out wherever you work, wherever you live, wherever you go into the marketplace. We were having breakfast the other morning at a local restaurant that we go to often on Sunday, on Monday morning. There's a family that comes there and, and um, <laughs> it's of a nationality where, which is not only one, there's a number of them. They tend to be dominated by the wife or the mother. And it's obvious that's what's going on because there's the, either the mother and the sister or the mother and the daughter or the wife and the sister or the wife and the mother. And they do all the talking and this poor man just sits there like this and eats and does whatever they say. You know, we, we've kind of looked at them and, you know, they're, they're just, they're, they're neat, you know. And they were there the other morning and we're there. There's hardly anybody else in there. And I'm, we're finishing up and we're talking. We're talking to the waitress that we know. And I watched this man get up and he went over and sat on the ledge with a window 
I thought it was kind of strange. I'd never seen him do that before. And we're talking, and Anita's talking to the waitress that we know, and, you know, it's nice. And I'm kind of watching him out of the corner of my eye, and he gets up, and then he, he bends over the, 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 the um, uh, bench right there, and I realize he's in pain. And he tries to sit down, and he gets up, and he's kind of walking, I, you know, because I've had years ago back to I know what that looks like on the outside, and he's obviously in excruciating pain. And I'm sitting there, and I'm sensing God saying, I want you to pray for him. And I start going through the same thing. Well, what if he's not healed? And Lord said, I've taught you that one. That's my job, isn't it? Your job is to pray. And I'm thinking, well, what are they going to think? You know, you know, you know. And, was, and I, and the Lord so famous, we'll tell them this. Just ask him if they want me to pray for him. He says, that's all. And so by the time I've worked this through, he gets up and leaves. He waddles out the door and I think, well, I got off the, I got, you know. And it's, I'm just being honest with you. And the Lord says, no, you didn't. Go to the woman and tell her you're a pastor and your husband, seems your husband is in pain. Because I also heard her say about it, he had a doctor's appointment that afternoon with a surgeon. And ask her if she'd like me to pray for him. So I did. She said, oh, would you? And so we went out the door. He was sitting in the car and I laid hands on him. And I prayed over him in the name of Jesus. And I spoke to that back. I spoke to that. He thanked me very much. And I left and is now in God's hands. And so those kinds of things are going to begin to happen. And when they happen, we have a choice to make. Am I going to step out or am I going to hold back? Am I going to take this opportunity? And the Holy Spirit's faithful to guide you, to tell you what to say. He told me what to say. He told me what to do. And he's the greatest trainer there is. But see, if we don't have confidence that God's going to answer our prayers... What I'm sensing is this. God, there's things God wants to do. There are miracles God wants to perform through you, in your life, and around you, at work, in the supermarket. My wife's done that for people in the supermarket. She'll get behind the line. We were somewhere the other day, and she was, didn't come out of the restroom. Right away. I know what she's doing. She's talking to somebody in there. And she came out, and sure enough, she's somebody she doesn't even know who they are. She's talking to them because she'll do that. She'll notice people around her begin to talk to them. And that opens up opportunities. There's things God wants to do to demonstrate himself. Jesus, what did he do? Remember he said, the works that I do shall you do also? He went out where the people were and where there were needs. He prayed for their needs. He spoke to them. Whatever it is he did, he met their needs. And we are his body. His spirit lives in us. The same father that was in him is in us. The works that he did, we're told we're to do. Nowhere in my Bible, and I've got a number of them, have I ever found where it says that ended with the apostles. You cannot find that in there. We are in the same age that they were in. There are not two different dispensations of the church age. There's not the apostolic age and the church age today. Because Jesus, otherwise, why is it in here? It's just a nice history book. We're reading what they did. We're reading what Jesus did. And it was nice that those things happened back then, but those things don't happen now. But they do. They do happen now. They do happen now. But the point of this, and we're going to end with this, of what God wants to do. This is why this is so important right now. And this is what's burning in my heart. God wants to do things in people's lives. He wants to deliver and set free. He wants to open blind eyes and unstop deaf ears. 
He wants to make the lame to walk and perform miracles. He wants to do those things, not just as a dinner bell to call people to him, but also to show what he's like, to express his compassion to people. But you and I are the only means he has of doing that. It's as we pray for people. Souls that he wants to save. Souls that he wants to save. And we'll learn why God can't move unless we ask him. We'll learn why God can't do what he wants to do in this realm unless somebody asks him and authorizes him to act. God has to be authorized to act here. And unless we do it, that's what prayer of intercession does. There are many different types of prayer. We're not going to get into all of them. There's a prayer of of consecration where you do what Jesus prayed in the garden. Not my will, but your will be done. My life belongs to you. That operates differently. We'll probably not get into that because we're talking about prevailing prayer. Prayer that gets answers and gets results. So as we close tonight, I I want you to leave you with this question. I've already asked it a number of times. Just begin to search your own life. The next time you pray, because God already knows the answer to this, so you're not going to shock him. Do I really expect, do I really believe God's hearing this? And do I really believe he's going to answer this prayer? You need to find out where you are first, because God knows where we are. And God comes, the wonderful thing about God's grace is he'll meet us where we are. But if I don't find out where I am and admit where I am, he can't meet me there. So if in reality I'm here, but I think I'm here, or I want to pretend I'm here, I'm going to try to get God to come to here, but God's going to come to where I really am. But he always comes to where you are to strengthen you and to build you up and to lift you up. This is why James says, if that's where you are, then humble yourself. He said, God gives grace to the humble. That means I admit where I am. I face where I am. He resists the proud. No, I got it together. I can do this. Be honest about where you are. And then tell God where you are. And ask Him to begin to show you what you need to do. We'll begin to talk about what some of those things are. Father, we've begun to talk tonight about prayer. And now we're going to do that. We're going to come to you right now, Father, and we're going to ask you by the power of your Spirit begin to take what it is each of us has heard tonight. And some of us have heard different things tonight. And by your precious Holy Spirit, begin to work in our lives and to open our eyes to see where we are, that you may come in by your Spirit and begin to strengthen us and to teach us, Lord, that we may become men and women whose prayers are answered, who prevail with you, to the point that we develop a reputation at work, a reputation in our family, a reputation in our community, that if you really need something, go to them, because their God answers prayer. Lord, we ask you by the power of your Spirit, in the name of Jesus, to do this in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.